It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening, I'm in Kerry with Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom to taste some delicious plant-based treats. Yes, they are plant-based and they are delicious. And that's thanks to Sid Sheehan at Nourish by Nature Cookery School. In Listowel, Colette talks to Pierce Walsh at John R's Food Hall about the tradition of making pies during Listowel Race Week. And by Back in Limerick, I travel to number one Perry Square in the city's beautiful Georgian Quarter to meet chef Keith Pickett to find out about this year's Pigtown Festival. But before we hear from tonight's guests, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon G. Nunam. So, as we all know, there's nothing nicer than a little treat with a cup of coffee around half past ten in the morning. However, an increasing number of people are choosing to cut out sugar and perhaps some of you are gluten-free, egg or maybe dairy intolerant. So, what can you have to satisfy that sweet tooth? Well, Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom and I travelled to a rural cookery school just outside Listowel where Sid Sheehan from Nourish by Nature proved that cutting out refined sugar, egg, dairy and gluten does not mean cutting out flavour. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. here at your cookery school just outside Listowel, Nourished by Nature. Tell us how it all began. Okay, so Nourished by Nature came about, what, six years ago now? So obviously I'm a chef by trade. And then about 10, 11 years ago, I went back to college for a couple of years in Cork to train as a nutritional therapist with the view of setting up the cookery school to show people how to incorporate all these new healthy foods into their diet. So that's how this built. Um, as you can see, look, it's a nice, small, kind of cosy, intimate setting. Uh, we do all of our classes, they're all healthy themed. So that's kind of the, the foundation of the whole, the whole name. Is it vegan, vegetarian, or do you do... Um, I think most, at the start, a couple of years ago, it was just kind of general healthy food, which would have included meat, some meat and fish. Um, over time, it has moved, so all of the classes that we do are all completely plant-based. Uh, but we do tell people, obviously, during the classes, you, know, you don't necessarily have to be a vegan or a vegetarian, so you can adapt your recipes and add in fish or meat if you want to. I think a lot of meat eaters have um, the wrong idea about plant-based and being vegan, that whenever you see something as plant-based or vegan, you might think that it's not going to taste very nice, but that's not actually the case with your cooking. No, we, we get that a lot with classes. Um, I suppose that generally 90% of our participants would be female. Um, you will get the odd guy that will come, um, and sometimes even you can you can almost tell that they're here under duress that they've been sent to the class. Um, but look, they are getting much better with it, I think. And certainly throughout lockdown, I think there's more and more guys cooking at home. 
Um, but people would come along to classes and they'd think, oh, I don't know, would I like vegetarian or vegan or lentils, this type of, type of stuff. So they might go away and you tell them how to incorporate this stuff in or maybe to sneak it in a little bit into the diet um, or they'll just cook something for a hobby at home and they'll think, jeez, I didn't even realise there was no meat in that. Yeah, say nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think initially people do have this kind of notion in their head that vegetarian food is going to be tasteless for some reason. But of course, the truth of it is that you can incorporate so many herbs and spices and different flavors into veggie and vegan food. Like it can, flavors can blow you away with it. So. And one of the other elements of it is getting those essential nutrients in that you might get from meat, like iron, for example. So yeah. do your classes incorporate yeah, so, advice in that? Yeah, so that's the beauty of the class, I suppose, really. All demo classes, probably it's 50-50, so they're learning cooking skills and then they get loads and loads of tips from a nutritionist point of view, what they need to get in, the amounts they need to get in, how we'll say overcook and stuff sometimes you can spoil a lot of the nutrients and the vitamins and stuff like that so just different tips and techniques to get the best nutritional value out of your food i think really and that's something that they get a lot from the classes all very practical yeah it is it's simple kind of stuff we keep all the recipes you know user friendly and budget friendly for people um they get their recipes going away we've actually moved now we're gone paperless so they get any any copy of their their, um, all their recipes and all the nutritional info so to go with it. So people really enjoy the whole experience. It is a food experience, I suppose. Um, people get lots and lots yeah. from it. Lockdown, you mentioned there, obviously has had an impact in lots of different business and you're no exception. So yeah. tell us what, what you did. So, okay, look, I suppose we started out the year January. We were getting geared up for actually a really busy second quarter. We had loads of classes here booked. We have Saturday workshops booked. And then I do a lot of off-site kind of talks and demos and all this kind of stuff. Then literally overnight, everything got cancelled. So the plug got pulled on everything. Um, we needed to adapt the cookery school and diversify a little bit so we thought about it for a little while and we decided to come up with a product um, we're not doing any classes at the moment and for the foreseeable uh, because we can't really social distance um, and it wouldn't be viable to have two people here for a class so we came up with the concept of a plant-based sweet treat box so that's the product that we've started um, it has just been launched over the last couple of weeks um, and yeah, it's going really well. Um, and I'm looking at a, a plate of it now along with Colette and we had a little taste with coffee earlier on and we were extremely impressed, weren't we Colette? Absolutely gorgeous, you know, and we were saying there's this perception again with the, the sugar-free or the, the, the sort of the, the plant-based stuff that is going to be tasteless. I mean, the chocolate tart there is every bit as indulgent, if not even more indulgent, you know, you really feel you've had a treat there. And the energy balls and that what was that one that gorgeous one there said the, that's um, like a salted caramel yeah. bar amazing yeah talk us through what's in the box okay so yeah. look we'll start with the outside first outside in so our packaging is all compostable um which is a good thing i think it's something that everyone needs to be aware of um then inside so you have four different items in the box so you have the salted caramel Bar. Now, everything in the box is completely raw, so that's the first thing to look at. Completely sugar-free, we'll say refined Completely sugar. refined sugar-free, yeah. and we're not using any artificial sweeteners either. So there's no castor sugar, there's no granulated sugar, there's no xylitol, there's nothing like that no. in it. So what we're using is agave syrup and maple syrup, um, because it's vegan as well, so we don't use honey. 
Um, so that's the only sweetener that's in there. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise that honey isn't suitable for vegans because it's made by bees. I think that that can go over their heads. Yeah, it does. Um, so look, we purposely made it um, vegan as well. Even though it's not called a vegan sweet treat box, it is a, a plant-based box. Um, it is suitable for everybody. Um, you don't have to be vegan to appreciate this product. So that's the, the bar that's in there. And the fact that everything is raw, you're getting, again, maximum nutritional value out of everything. Because when you cook anything or start to heat it, you start to, the vitamin content will start to diminish. So that's the bar that's in there. Um, slightly salted caramel, there's kind of maple and a little bit of cinnamon and stuff in there as well. Then you've got two types of protein bites, we call them. They're very big bites. So they are very big oh, bites. They are, they're, you know what, they're lovely. Um, so you've got two coconut and lime bites in there, and then the other two are orange chocolate. Uh, so there's something in there for everybody. And then the last one, um, which is probably the most indulgent one in the box, this is the chocolate and raspberry tart. Now, can I just interrupt you because people can't see this? There is a, like an oozing of, is it a raspberry or what is coming out of there? It's yeah, so beautiful. what you have inside in the middle of it, that little kind of hidden pocket or cluster yeah. in there, that's actually raw chia jam. Oh my God. So it's a raspberry chia jam that's made with raspberries, chia seeds, and a tiny amount of maple syrup. And so when you actually cut into it, you'll find a little hidden cluster inside in the middle of it. Now it's definitely my favorite. Mm. It's fabulous, but very indulgent. It's very rich. It is extremely rich and something that we're getting a lot of feedback on. For something that is so rich, um, people are saying, you know, it's so tasty and indulgent and yet, I felt great after eating it. I didn't have that horrible, full, sluggish feeling that you will get from a lot of highly yeah. refined and high sugar content foods. It's almost like a hangover sometimes. You know, if you've had a couple of sweet things the night before, you'd actually feel it the next morning sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like some, look, a lot of, kind of nutritionists and people in that field would refer to it as the, the sugar hangover. Yeah. Because it has huge effects, obviously. Look, we won't get into that today, but sugar is like, it, it drives inflammation in the body and mm-hmm. all the associated stuff, diabetes, obesity, and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but as I said, look, we purposely kept it completely sugar-free and it doesn't have any of the artificial sweeteners in there. Like people will be familiar with aspartame and some of these kind of chemical-based sweeteners. So it doesn't have any of that stuff either. And like they would leave a bit of an aftertaste in your mouth. If yeah, you I can certainly, like if I taste something that would have an artificial sweetener in it, um, I can taste it straight away. Yeah, I can see Because I, re- I don't really have a sweet tooth myself anyway. Mm-hmm. So the odd time that I would have something like that, and if it's chemical-based, I can definitely taste it. So this one, you, you certainly won't get that from it. Um, so yeah, it's free from egg, um, gluten, dairy. Um, certainly not flavour free. So where's no, the catch? Where's the catch? Where's the catch? <laughs> where's the catch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's just gorgeous, like you know, it really is a, like a proper dessert, you know. Yeah. So that's um, yeah, it is really really good. Um, I think as a sweet treat and not necessarily for weight loss or anything like that. Uh, people see a healthier sweet treat and they automatically make the connection with losing weight and stuff. Like you could have two of these, if, even if you're having a dinner party with under six people obviously at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, even two of these boxes spread out on a big platter and that's your dessert taken care of. Uh, and there's something there, there's a flavor there for everybody in it. 
Absolutely. So you decided to do these during lockdown and what was the response or how did you get them out there? So through social media was our main kind of platform for advertising. Um, initially we started just selling direct from here at the cookery school. Um, we've kind of moved away a little from that. So we have a few shops that are stocking it now. Um, so Horns Health Food Shop in the Stoll. They're stocking them all of the time. Um, and then we've got Sunnis Health Food in Newcastle West. Mm-hmm. So they're stocking them. And also for kind of more Limerick based, um, we have the Urban Co-op in Limerick that are stocking them. Um, they're absolutely blown away by the product. Um, they couldn't believe that it was free from all of these things um, and ticked so many boxes, pardon the pun. Um, but yeah, so that's where they can be sourced for now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, look, it's still kind of in the infancy stage as a product, um, but we will be looking in the future at kind of introducing more products and playing around with some new stuff. Yeah. Well, certainly it's, it's a new product to say, but it, it has certainly become a buzz around Listol over the summer. I've heard it from lots of people. People are talking about it already, so, you know... I think this is a pivotal point really for it, I think. And I think coming towards Christmas, like it is that time of year where mm-hmm. we're starting to think about that. And we all know somebody that is maybe gluten-free or vegan and to get them something nice, you're going to do some Christmas thing. Yeah, so we're looking at some kind of Christmas flavours and introduce maybe swapping out one or two of the products and getting something in there more kind of Christmassy themed. Um, this is stuff that we're researching at the moment and playing around with different recipes and all of the time. That's what you'll find me out here doing. Mm. Um, and you make everything by hand. Yeah, so this is the important thing. Look, this is not mass produced. Um, it's not outsourced or anything. Everything is made by hand on, on a small scale. Um, but yes, so there's no, as you can see here, look, this is where they're produced. Mm-hmm. There's no machines or anything for doing it. Everything is done by me, by hand. Um, so we never want to compromise or jeopardize the, the actual quality of the product. So that's how it will be staying at the moment is being completely done. Mm-hmm. So we've complete control over the product. And in the long term then, what is your vision? I think in the long term is to get more of a range out there on the market and ultimately then have more so that it's a little we can sell a little further afield um something that we may look at in the future as well would be an online shop um but because it is a chilled product and this is something to remember it's important it does need to be kept chilled um so the online thing is posing a little problem at the moment with that but something we're researching and looking into as well and i would imagine transporting it you know you'd want it to be mined and unfortunately we can't rely on the courier companies no so that's the other side of it a lot of stuff can get bashed around you don't want to send this to somebody as a gift and for them to open it and to have a pile of mushed up kind of what once resembled the chocolate tart inside in it so but look that's down the road um but we definitely look at kind of getting more products out there on the market in time um but just getting back to the christmas thing i think it will make an amazing gift at christmas as an edible gift um a healthier alternative to your box of chocolates and everybody knows now at this stage you know even come christmas there'll be somebody coming home hopefully they'll be coming home this year um and they're either gluten-free or dairy-free or egg-free or they're vegan and it's always the last minute panic um i have this person coming for dinner what am i going to give them for dessert so this i think is the answer to it absolutely and i mean it, it won't go to waste not at all and like i suppose going back to the whole the circumstances we find ourselves in now we're all trying to be a little bit healthier we're all trying to mind ourselves and you know like someone like me who suffer with sinuses from time to time the plant-based is always going to be a better option you know it can be it's hard to get the brain to think 
thinking that way, but once you taste it, I mean, it's just it's just fantastic. Yeah, it does. And actually, something else that we may be looking at that we're researching at the moment is possibly getting this into the food service side of Excellent. of the the food world, um, which would be supplying some hotels and restaurants with some or all of the products, so that they could have a lot of hotels and restaurants. Just from my own background, the kitchens they just don't have the resources or the time, and in some cases they don't just don't have the knowledge on how to make products like this for desserts to cater for you know people with food intolerances food allergies all this type of stuff so again it's another avenue that we're kind of researching for down the road and the the plant-based market is growing it's massive at the moment yeah Yeah, it's gaining so much momentum at the moment um everybody i think is aware of it more and more people are moving away from kind of high meat highly processed foods i suppose Mm -hmm. more importantly to more plant-based whole foods um and it might be a little easier to do that i think with savory food um you know with your dinners and lunches but when it comes to sweet treats um even though there's lots of stuff on the market you can go in you can buy a gluten-free bar any place or a protein ball or whatever it may be but to get something that ticks all of the boxes that's going to be sugar-free as well dairy-free as well um obviously look they contain lots and lots of nuts um that would be the base for most of the products um there would be a lot of coconut fat and stuff like that but these are all healthier fats and they're all high protein kind of snacks as well fantastic well look i think they're absolutely delicious i mean as i've said my favorite one is that chocolate raspberry tart it is just it is amazing yeah it's not raspberry it's chia isn't it chia jam it's a raspberry a raw raspberry chia jam is what's in the middle of it Uh, because look obviously everybody knows that your standard pot of jam is probably going to be somewhere in the region of 50 to 60 percent sugar so this is a nice healthy alternative to that i keep forgetting that the the maple syrup and the salted caramel Oh, that is just, yeah. yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Well, I think we'll go and have another cup of coffee. I think so. <laughs> yeah. We might have another nibble here. If uh, people want to find out more, Sid, where's the best Okay, so you can check us out um, our website, nourishbynature.ie. Um, you can get us on Facebook, nourishbynature.listol. And on Instagram, nourish underscore by underscore nature. Fantastic. Well, look, we look forward to seeing lots of photographs on Instagram by people enjoying them in all oh, yes, different tag, shapes tag, and tag. sizes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, best of luck with it. Brilliant. Thanks for telling us about it today and having us here in the group. Thanks, Thanks a million. Great to have you here. Thank you, Sid. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Colette O'Connor and I enjoyed a delicious selection of guilt-free treats thanks to Sid Sheehan at Nourish by Nature. And look at, I am still dreaming about that chocolate raspberry tart. It was sublime. So do pop along to Saunas and pick up a treat box. If you're just tuning in now you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app.
Still to come tonight, I travel to the number one Perry Square in Limerick City's beautiful Georgian Quarter to meet chef Keith Piggott to find out about this year's Pigtown Festival. Next though, as the Listole races take place this week, local Colette O'Connor thought it was a great opportunity to let us know about the mutton pie which was traditionally enjoyed by racegoers. She went along to John R's foot hall in the heart of the town to meet Pierce Walsh to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Good morning, Pierce. You're very welcome to the best possible taste. How are things in the stall? Very good, Colette. Difficult times, but we're adapting as best we can. No different to any other town, I suppose. Uh, It's a very strange experience, very surreal, but uh, we're hanging in there doing the best we can. And I suppose suppose we're right now in the middle of race week and uh, the big thing in the store historically was this this pie, this meat pie. Can you tell us about the meat pie and what's the crack with it at all? The mutton pie, well, it's it's, it's a strong tradition in the store and the reason being was that it enabled everybody in the household to go to the races. And when they were ravenous after the races, they just came home, the prize had been pre-made maybe the previous week. And they were uh, immersed into a, a mutton broth and uh, they were left to simmer for 15 or 20 minutes um, and uh, everybody just wired in. Um, and I suppose in, in my formative years, I remember people coming back from England on holidays when I was a kid and uh, it was such a big thing for them to get their mutton pies. Uh, after the races. It, it was a uh, big thing in the store. I thought it meant everybody could go to the race. There was no mad rush to get home to cook the dinner. Correct. like. yes, yeah. yeah. Um, it was of its time, really, you know. And I suppose here in, in John Harris Food Hall, your, your family place, this is, your, your, which generation are you now to have this? I'm the third. Third generation. Yeah. So there would be the meat pies, and there was a pub here originally. And That's right, we had a pub. And, yeah. And, uh, Back in those days as well, when I was a kid, uh, you didn't have that many restaurants and people didn't go out for meals like they do now. So things like mutton pies and my parents, or the rest of them, were quite innovative and uh, they started doing cooked chickens many, many years ago. Right. Places weren't doing that kind of food. And uh, God, I remember when I was a child, I can't remember the amount of chickens we used to sell. Like, you really? Know? My parents would start cooking early in the morning. And uh, people, when they came to the store, then they, they stayed for the whole three days, like, you know, and it was just constant. Because originally it was a three day festival, it was not the long week we have now. No, but when I was a child, it was a three day yeah. festival, and people came and they stayed yeah. for three days, you know. But, um, People that would be day tripping, which wasn't really the norm then, but they would come into the north, maybe and get a cooked chicken and take it home and, and leave. But nowadays, uh, people, as they say, shorten the journey and they'll stop in a restaurant on the way home and they'll have a meal. But the whole dynamic has changed yeah. uh, dramatically over the years, you know. And the people of West Limerick are very familiar with the stall races, aren't they? You yeah, know, yes, yeah. My, my grandfather was from West Limerick, he was from Clown the Heart. And uh, he was the creamery manager in my van. So he had a strong connection, you know, with all of West Limerick. And uh, 
when my grandmother at that age himself started this business here, he, she ran the business, he continued to work in my van, and um, he was a strong draw for West Limerick people. So mm-hmm. even in my time, uh, when, when I had the pub in the earlier years, um, there that, that was a very, very strong West Limerick connection. And would you still find that now in recent years, or has, is, it, is it more more locally based, I suppose, or what do you think in terms of the food um, shopping? I still have some customers from those days. Really? Oh, that's yeah, fantastic. I've, I've uh, one lady, um, uh, Mary O'Donnell, who travels uh, over here quite frequently to, yeah. to get some of our products, and uh, she's always spoken very highly of us. Um, but yes, I still get people from, from back then, you know. And uh, my customer base now is, I don't know, it's, it's more varied. Mm-hmm. Life has changed. Mm-hmm. You don't get that personal relationship with people now that you did back then. Okay. And that people like their privacy, so they don't want you prying on who they are, where they are. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, some people will. You will get to engage with, and I suppose that's dynamic that works between two people, like you know. But um, people don't they like their privacy, you know. They do, and I suppose John Harris is a great example of how you've adapted over the years. I mean, it's a really you're a champion of local producers. I mean, if you look around the shop and here, beautiful stuff. You have all the colours, all the, the smells. I mean, I love the patty here, but everyone I think knows about John R's patty. It's just amazing. And we're sitting now amongst the wine, but it's a bit early for wine. <laughs> Gorgeous wines and everything. What has driven each change over the years for you? I would say it just evolved. I never really had a plan in my head about mm. where I was going, but as each stage of my life came along, it just evolved into something else. But uh, it would be nothing without my staff. Right. And I'm very lucky. I have great staff, and uh, there are some of them. And uh, God knows the marriages around haven't lasted as long. <laughs> I have two girls with me that were with me over 25 years, so yeah. um, that's a long time, you know. That's a good mark of a place as well, isn't it? Though I think. Well, we, we all get on very well. There's, there's no IM team, and, and we do work as a team. And, uh, I'm just the face of John Arts, really, you know. And tell me, this year, obviously, with COVID, how has that impacted business here for you? It's been a very challenging year. Um, I thought that maybe, initially, I thought that we could work our way through COVID. But um, I decided that no, we couldn't. That it wasn't fair to my staff myself and my family. So we did close for about six weeks until we got the place COVID ready. Mm-hmm. And as you can see, we have a lot of polycarbonate screens okay. up around the place. And uh, we've closed the cafe mm-hmm. uh, temporarily. We will open the cafe again, but uh, I don't have an exact time frame for that. Uh, until we see what everything is going. And when it's safe to open the cafe, yes, I, I'm looking forward to opening it again, but for the time being, um, for my staff's sake, for my customers' sake, everybody's sake, it's best to keep it closed. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it has been challenging. Have you had feedback from some of your suppliers, from the local producers and things? Have they had any feedback there on how they're finding it? Uh, well, obviously, it's causing problems for everybody. Um, I suppose one of the feedbacks I'm getting from 
system of bicycles is uh, they are having difficulty getting packaging because okay. so much of it comes in from China. Oh gosh. And uh, they are expecting things to be quite difficult for Christmas time because they can't get the packaging out. Mm-hmm. But I thought, oh, they'll improvise, they'll find a way of, of mm-hmm. walking through it. But uh, uh, yeah, packaging seems to be a problem. Okay. And going back to the pie, I have to ask you, do you think that we could revive the pie, maybe rebrand it, or maybe do something a bit more innovative with it? Maybe, because the mutton isn't for everyone, really, is it? You know? No, it's not. Could we modernise it a bit? The mutton tends to be quite strong. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you can rebrand this. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we also do Cornish pasties. Yeah, that's a similar sort of an that's idea, isn't it? a similar idea, yeah. but it's just a different cut. Mm-hmm. Meat and uh, um, my staff in the kitchen do a, a beautiful mm-hmm. pasty, you know, which uh, we sell a lot of Cornish pasties, and you know, they're very popular. But uh, I guess that when it comes to race week, everybody wants their mutton pie. They like their mutton pie. <laughs> they revert, they revert back to the pasty, not over. <laughs> yeah. But for now, it's the mutton pie. And I suppose Dara mentioned the sea word, but to be gearing up for Christmas now, we start thinking about Christmas produce, sir. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. if you have to start uh, thinking about and preparing at this stage, we're getting all orders in. Are you already? Yeah, we get deliveries okay. of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. at this stage. And um, we'll be starting baking and, and cooking next month. And what's the biggest seller here at Christmas, Pierce? What would be your biggest selling product? Uh, I suppose Christmas puddings. Christmas puddings. Gosh, yeah. Or puddings uh, go far and wide. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're a big hit. Um, because we steam cook them. The proper and way. A lot of places bake and uh, a plum pudding should not be baked. Mm-hmm. It should only be steamed. I never heard of anyone bake. baking them, really. They do, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you've got to steam them. And if you, if you talk about in a private house doing a plum pudding or mm-hmm. Christmas pudding, I mean, you're steaming them up your kitchen. You are, yeah. Eight or ten hours, mm-hmm. you know, which uh, you kind of question is really what. You'd be getting all the sugar soap for the walls afterwards, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, if you can come into a place like this and, and get uh, top quality plum pudding, well, why put yourself through trouble? Absolutely. Well, look, Piers, it's been fantastic talking to you this morning, and uh, we hope we all have a good race. It's different races this year, but hopefully it'll be a good race. It's been a good, you know, we'll move on now towards Christmas. And most importantly, that it's a safe race for everybody. Yeah, absolutely safe as a priority. If people wanted to learn more about John Orris Food Hall, Facebook is at John Orris Food Hall Stone, and Instagram at John Orris. Thank you again, Piers. Thank Thank you. you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. very welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about Listowel's mutton pie thanks to Colette O'Connor and Pierce Walsh. And earlier in the programme, Colette and I enjoyed some delicious guilt-free treats, compliments of Sid Sheehan from Nourish by Nature. If you're just tuning in and you've missed all of that, you can catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. 
Now, last week I told you that the annual Pigtown Festival was kicking off with a special menu in the Mustard Seed in Ballingarry. The festival runs right through to the end of September and on into October and I went along to number one Perry Square in Limerick City's beautiful Georgian Quarter to meet chef Keith Pickett to find out about the other events that we can look forward to. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So Keith, this is the fourth year of Pigtown, the first year being 2017 and you were involved back then. Tell us how it all came about. Um, well, I suppose Pigtown is, um, it, it's all under the umbrella of the Limerick Food Group. So for the last four or five years, um, lots of stakeholders in the Limerick Food family have kind of gotten together and organised some food-based events and um, kind of represented Limerick food interests and different bodies and stuff. But our main kind of energy and our main focus has been on Pigtown. Um, and Limerick has this great food history. So, and we, we want to celebrate that food history. Um, but it isn't, obviously it isn't just about food history, it's about our present as well. And we want to celebrate that food history through involving, you know, our current food producers, our chefs, and our, just our whole food family getting together and running events over a month or so in September, October, celebrating Pigtown. Um, uh, people, when they hear the phrase Pigtown, kind of wonder what it's about. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of point out to them that last year, my event in Pigtown was a vegan barbecue. So it isn't just about pigs or pork. And that's a nod to our history, that Limerick has such a deep and rich food history. And a lot of it is centered around the pig, but there's so much more to it. And um, so, yeah, it's the Limerick Food Group and the members of that who've kind of... And, you know, it's it's an achievement for something to run for four years. Um, but we see it running many, many years into the future. And uh, we're always open to new people joining us. And it's um, interesting to note that this year, despite COVID and despite all the kind of um, barriers that we face, there are new people on board and new restaurants and new producers all getting involved. And we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's an achievement that you're still going ahead with it this year, that you've, you, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel, but there's still plenty of things that, that can be done. Like one of the, the great events was the Limerick Food Mile. Obviously, that's not happening this year, but the restaurants or the hotels that were involved in that are doing their own little events like you are here at One Perry Square. Yeah, I suppose COVID has kind of put a lot of limitations on what we can do. And, you know, we sat down at meetings and we kind of scratched our heads a lot because we were going, so what can we do? What can't we do? And, you know, it just became apparent to us very quickly that the the festival couldn't run in the format that we were, we were doing it in this year, that it had to be um, a little bit more informal and a little bit more maybe restaurant-based and, you know, just based around small events happening in individual restaurants. And um, but we were determined, we were quite determined just to keep it on the map and to offer people something because you know it's one of those things that COVID has it, it kind of dampened you know our lives for a while and we didn't have a lot to do or a lot to go to. Um, but we're quite determined, we were quite determined that Pigtown would go ahead and we give people a few things to look forward to. Um, and particularly, of course, because they're food-based events. So, you know, I think everyone should look forward to food-based events. But it was just that. We, we were determined that it would be 
it would be on the schedule, that it would go ahead. Um, it didn't matter if it was a reduced format, it didn't matter if it was a single event, we were going to do something and we're really happy with it actually. It's a few more restaurants have come on board and it's a lot of single dining events um, based around the city and the county. Um, just for an example, um, Wade Out in 1826 is going to run a Pigtown special um, over the couple of weeks in September. Um, Sabrina in Tuscany has come on board. They're going to do a little, few bits and pieces. We have our old reliables. Tom Flavin is going to knock it out of the park down in the Strand as usual um, with his uh, Pigtown repertoire. Um, it, uh, the guys in the East Room are on board again this year and they're doing a special Pigtown tasting menu. Um, we've already had um, the guys out in the mustard seed who Angel put together an absolutely fantastic tasting menu as well. So everyone's getting on board, everyone's joining in and there's a lot of positivity. And I think that positivity reflects on the Limerick food scene as well. You know, if you think about those restaurants I've listed, they're all really, really good restaurants. Restaurants that are kind of moving forward all the time and that's a reflection on the Limerick food community. We've got new producers coming to the table all the time. We've got chefs starting to push the boundaries a little and, you know, I, I think Limerick is starting to see a little bit of momentum on the food scene. We're really looking forward to it and Pigtown will be like that. Here in number one Perry Square, we have two specific events. Um, one is Pigtown Pinchos. So, uh, I love the food of northern Spain. I love going over there. I sound like someone who goes over there all the time. I don't. <laughs> I've been there, you know, twice, three times. But I love it over there. And the big thing in northern Spain, in the Basque region in particular, is pinchos. And they're tapas. But, you know, in northern Spain, they don't call them tapas. They call them pinchos. But uh, and you walk into any bar and you go up to the bar counter and it's just full of foods, full of magnificent choices of food. And that's what we're going to do here on Thursday, the 15th of October. But obviously we won't have it on the bar because of COVID regulations and all of that. But when you book a table, when you arrive in, the food will be on the table. It'll be your own private bar of pinchos. So we're really looking forward to that. And we'll be using, so there'll be a pork element and I'll be using Caroline Rigney's black pudding and her pork belly. And I'll be using some Bellin Willen from Mitchellstown, I'll be using some of their wild boar, but then there'll be plenty of veggie options, vegan options, and we'll even have a nod towards um, towards fish. And uh, Paul down in Rennie Cusacks will get me lots of lovely fresh fish for the event, I'm sure. But um, yeah, so Pigtown Pinchos on October the 15th, and then on the Sunday morning after that, um, I have to get my date right, is that the 17th or the 18th? Probably the 18th. I'm not good with numbers. I think it's um, the 19th. Is it the 19th? I don't know. No. Oh, confusion. <laughs> Sunday after that Thursday, okay. um, we're going to run our literary brunch. So that will be in conjunction with Rachel Keeley. And it's that idea that, you know, a lot of people wonder, does Ireland have a food culture? And a lot of, the, a lot of people automatically shut down to that and don't think we do. But if you're to go through our literature and our, our written history, we actually do have a significant food culture. And a lot of it is in our books and a lot of it has been documented by authors documenting everyday life, but food is part of everyday life. So we're going to run a brunch. Rachel is going to take us through the different um, authors who will be f featured in it, but we're going to run a brunch based on recipes from the works of various Irish authors. So it'll be soda breads based on it, terrines based on it. We'll have, you know, a few nice sweet treats and um, but it's basically a Sunday morning brunch based around that and it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to because I'm, I'm very definite that we do have a food culture that we have an Irish food culture I'm very definite that we have a Limerick food culture 
and that it's all back in our history it's all been documented we just have to work hard to find it or in some case we have to find people who can remember it and it's something I'm very proud of especially in Limerick the food culture of Limerick and it's something that we want to bring to the fore and so this event kind of does that and it fits in with the Pigtown thing because it celebrates our history but we're doing it in the middle of the city in a lovely room um, and we're going to do it in a contemporary fashion so it's that whole thing that we talk about Pigtown celebrating the past but celebrating the present and we're going to bring both of them together for our literary brunch. When you talk about the setting at One Perry Square is in the Georgian quarter of Limerick it is a fabulous setting there's so much character to the building itself and every time I come in there's been something new done like you're really working and moving with the times you have a lovely outdoor space um, the, the long room, the decor, the furnishings and everything and it's fabulous. Like Patricia and the team here, they're always staying ahead of the, the trends. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, I've, I've, I started work here post-Covid. was my, my, The first week back after Covid was my first week in my role as head chef here. And each week I've grown to appreciate the place even more. Um, it's a beautiful, another, it's again, I, I'm lucky I've, I've cooked in some beautiful restaurants and hotels that have beautiful, are beautiful rooms to serve food in, but this really is fantastic. We're using the long room at the moment. We use Sash for private dining now. Sash would have been our main restaurant, but because of COVID regulations, we're using it as our private dining area. And the long room is used as our main restaurant and it's just a beautiful room. It's so plush, it's so warm at night, the lighting's really good. And we have this fantastic outdoor area that basically looks onto the back of the Georgian buildings in the area and beautifully planted and you've got your apple tree and your pear tree and last week or, or last Friday I was picking mulberry mulberries off a tree out there and I'd never tasted mulberries before but they were amazing and you know you come to the front of the hotel and you're looking out and the people, we're sitting here in the drawing room where we serve afternoon tea and we're looking out at the People's Park and you know you've got all these green trees that are turning autumnal colours and it's just this real breath of fresh air in the middle of the city and the hotel is similar as well you know it's a real breath of fresh air there's always something happening here and um, like you say um, Patricia and Breed they they run the place so well and the place is so contemporary but it's so elegant at the same time you must be delighted to have like an apple tree on your doorstep there and the pear tree because you are a great supporter of in-season local produce and you've mentioned a number of the different suppliers that you'll be featuring as part of the Pigtown but you've always supported those suppliers and you do all year round. Yeah, as much as possible. So we start with our limerick larder and we've got our goat's cheese we have our goat's cheese um from the Leahy's. we have our we have our gouda from jim o'brien we have pork from caroline we have our veg from kevin we have our our microgreens from gavin all these people that I've, I've always tried to um use as much limerick produce as i can and then when we can't find limerick produce we move outside to other counties in munster and we have stuff coming in from Cork, Clare, Kerry, you know, and we've such a rich larder in Limerick and in, the, and in Munster and in the country. And we try to get as much of it on the plate um, at the right time of the year as possible. Um, and well, I go back to that thing about Limerick. It's, it's becoming so much easier as a chef to use Limerick produce. I, I remember when I started out as a chef. 
And um, when I first, so I would have worked down in Kerry for three or four years, and I moved back up to Limerick. And there was there was a handful of Limerick producers, but now it's growing all the time, and the produce is is top class. It really, really is, and it makes the job for chefs a whole lot easier. We've got great beef, we've got great lamb, we've got goat, we've got pork, and that's just the meat. We have amazing vegetables being grown. We have great preserves. You know, people are really, and our cheeses are starting to catch up with the rest of the country as well. I really, I'm, whereas four or five years ago, I would have wondered about Limerick and wondered about the food culture in Limerick. I knew we had a history, but I wasn't so confident about the present and about the future. But um my attitude has changed completely now. I'm, I'm really confident about because I've seen such good people get involved in the food scene, whether it's chefs in restaurants or restaurateurs or just people front of house who really, who really know how to do their job, know their wines, know their beers, or it's producers who are starting to produce cheeses, meats, vegetables, whether it's Steve down in Treaty City producing amazing beer. You know, and there's so much happening in Limerick. And we've got to get a little bit more um, proactive about shouting about it and telling people about it. Because if we don't tell people about it, and if we don't tell each other about it, because there's lots of people in Limerick who don't know about it. So we need to start telling each other, we need to start telling the rest of the country that Limerick is open for business in more ways than just COVID. We're open for business because there's lots happening here. And there's great value to be had in Limerick in terms of the, the meals that are there and the quality of the food, it's excellent. But also in, in terms of accommodation, you can get great deals. Like yeah. I remember Patricia from One Perry Square saying that to me a couple of months ago, that if you're looking to go to Kerry or to Mayo or to Dublin or to Cork, if you look at Limerick, there is really fantastic value here. Well, loads of value but there's also so much to do I, th I think we get a bit lost I think Limerick people especially get a little bit lost of this idea of Limerick being a tourist spot but there is actually so much to do um, the local council brought in a correspondent from Lonely Planet recently and he documented a few different itineraries and if you actually look at it we've a lot to do I'm doing it myself so next week I'm going away for a few days I have the week off and I'm going away for a few days but when I come back I'm spending a night in Limerick as well and I'm going to go to Limerick as a tourist and if an itinerary planned then it's fantastic and I'm really really looking forward to it and it's something I've done before my daughter lived in Dublin I used to go up to Dublin to visit her and we'd be a tourist for a day in Dublin and we used to do all the sites and all the different things we used to love it but this is my first time doing it in Limerick as a Limerick resident and I think everyone should try it because if you see what's on offer between the river, between the food, between the history, you know, just even St. Mary's Cathedral alone, just to walk in the ground and walk into the cathedral and soak in the history and look that it was built, I think it was 1176 or something. There's a building that was built in 1176 in the middle of our city. And I, I saw a Facebook post recently of someone standing on Shannon Rowing Club and they just did, they just did a pan around with their phone mm -hmm. and showed an urban landscape and the views of King John's Castle, the Corrigar Falls, St. Mary's Cathedral, Custom House Park, over onto Sarsfield Bridge, the boat clubs. I'm just there going, like, and the, the breadth of the river. And I'm just saying, this is a spectacular place to live. You go out to County Limerick, you go out to Adair, you go out to Loch Gur, you go out to Brough, Kilmallock, all of these places. There's so much to do and see in this county. And until we start shouting about it, and maybe the reason we don't shout about it is because we don't know enough about it. Whereas if you go down to Kerry, 
and I know this from experience, every lad in Kerry knows every back road and every little bit of stuff that a tourist should see and they're not shy in telling people. And Limerick people need to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit prouder about shouting from the rooftops about it. And I think many of us are guilty of taking for granted what is on our doorstep and not really appreciating the beauty of what's there. Absolutely, and maybe that's what COVID was great for, that people started walking up to the tops of hills and walking, you know, down side roads out in the middle of nowhere and realising, my God, it's actually beautiful here. Like, you know, and if you go up to the top of Knock Fear now, you, you know, there's so many great walks, you know, for a family just to go out for a day and walk up a hill and see what's, and, see, and just look around to get a view of the county they live in and see how spectacular it is and how beautiful it is. And maybe that's what COVID did. We actually got to see a little bit more. I, I Like, for instance, even four weeks ago, I... I, I was going out to Curry Chase for a stroll, got there, it was very busy, so I said, oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm not, not, it takes an hour to get in there. So we walked down, we drove out to Foynes, and we stopped off that wooded area in Foynes. I'd never gone into it before. Um, someone told me it's great for wild garlic, by the way. <laughs> Apparently the place stinks of wild garlic every April and May. But, and I went down, and I realised there was a little kind of pebbled beach down there with a spectacular view of the estuary. And that's something I'd never, ever seen before, didn't know anything about. After that, I went down to the Flying Boat Museum, went in there. You know, it was, it's all on our doorstep and we don't know about it. The same as Loch Gur. You go out to Loch Gur, sit down by the lake, have a picnic by the lake, go up the short climb, up the steps, have a look at the view of East Limerick. And, you know, it's just, there's just so much on our doorstep that we, and I don't know if we even take it for granted. I think we actually just, don't see it but I suppose that's what lockdown did for me I, in, in a big sense was I started to see things around me I live out in Castle Common and I was walking five or six kilometres a day and I wanted to walk in a different direction every day and I just realised how much you know just how beautiful it is out there like you know and how the river you know is spectacular out there you know and it's a tiny little village in Limerick but it's spectacularly beautiful and that's just one place and I think we don't think in, a tourist would be interested in it because sure, that's just Castle Collin, that's where I live like. But I guarantee you if a tourist came in and sat down by the river there and got soaked in the atmosphere and the, the, the peace and the calm of the river, they'd enjoy that. And I think that's what happens. It's not that we almost take it for granted, it's that we actually don't see it ourselves. And I hope that people have started to see it themselves. I'm kind of, And I think that's what Limerick food is for me as well. Sometimes I didn't see it. and. You know, some things I took for granted, but some things I didn't even see. And whereas now it's kind of become more obvious to me what we have and what we offer the rest of the country or the rest of the world. And I'm determined to talk a little bit more about it. So. The Limerick Food Group has been brilliant for raising the profile of the area. And we should say that it is a voluntary group. And you said at the start there that you welcome new members. Like, you know, it's not an exclusive group by any means. It's about collaboration and working together for the common good of the of the area. So if people want to find out more about the Limerick Food Group, where should they go to? Well, the best place to go would be to the Pigtown website, um, www.pigtown.ie and that will have details of the food group as well as all the events that are happening. And like I said, we've been heartened this year by the kind of new people who've come on board. Um, I mentioned Tuscany and I mentioned East Room and Corn Store on board as well. So there's lots of people now starting to get involved. And I think that can only be good for, you know, the food, Limerick food family and Limerick food product. The more people that are involved, 
the easier it is to publicize things and to push things and to show people you know what we have to offer so like I say, www.pigtown.ie with a list of all the events. We'd love to see people support local. Um, a lot of the menus are going to feature local suppliers and it will give you a sample of what Limerick has to offer. So we'd love to see you at the events and all the details are on the website. Fantastic. Well, listen, thanks so much for telling us all about it today and best of luck with all the events, but in particular, the ones that you're having here at One Perry Square. Thank you very much. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that was Keith Piggott in number one Perry Square, a member of the Limerick Food Group who head up the annual Pig Town Festival. And that brings us to the end of the programme this evening. My thanks to tonight's guests, Sid Sheehan, Pierce Walsh and Keith Pickett. And of course, a special thanks to Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!